Hey listeners, you're tuning in to a podcast about kids in the hall that easily veers off into mature subject matter and includes a whole heck of a lot of swearing. Enjoy the show, eh? Welcome to Kith and Tell, a podcast about four nutty bunnies who love kids in the hall. <laughs> we'll be reviewing every episode with Woody Banter and unmissable segments like, who can actually stand a reel? The answer is only Me. Hans, so we'll skip that one. <laughs> I'm Kalina McCordoff in London, England, and I am joined by the aforementioned Hans Seidemann in Prince Rupert, Canada. Hi, Hans. Hi, Kalina. Hello. <laughs> and Trevor Record and a very hungover Stu Derricotic oh, in Vancouver, oh Canada. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, you're joined by me and, like, groaning sound. <laughs> yeah. And Millhouse. <laughs> so, uh, we'll be reviewing episode four of season two, which aired on October 16th, 1990. Uh, so, let's kick off with our sketch rundown. We've got Nutty Bunnies. Three little nutty bunnies get unmasked and forced to admit that they're, in fact, just a bunch of college guys. Uh, mm. Buddy Cole stops smoking, bought a bar named Buddy's, <laughs> rifles through tabloids, and speculates on gay celebrities. <laughs> Police department. Turns out Mark is still mad because Bruce shot a guy. But, you know, just a little. <laughs> <laughs> Blind date. Mark McKinney emerges as the incredibly frustrating Daryl who really sucks <laughs> at dating and being nonchalant and identifying the shabbly. Oh, God. I <laughs> uh, love it. Another police department. The boys bemoan how their favorite car leaning positions give them a bit of a crick in the neck. It's, it's hell being a cop, eh? <laughs> yes, dear. Uh, Mark is a pathetic husband who has been ground down by years of nagging by his wife, Dade Foley, and is pushed to the edge by her annoying parrot. Um, another police department, Mark asked Bruce to give a police report describing Mark running naked through the woods and, quote, <laughs> feeling free and alive for maybe the first time in his life. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the bill, uh, Bruce is a disgruntled restaurant customer who asked for his bill 40 minutes ago. He doesn't want it now. He wanted it an hour ago. Ah, you're not listening. <laughs> of course, Kalina loves uh, And the I would bill. like water. The shrill. I just want the shrill moments. <laughs> I live for uh, and finished off by the chase so policeman mark and bruce finally get a chance to chase down some escaped convicts but are always just one step behind before losing them at the state line <laughs> so for our first segment we're obviously well established in unified bruce theory but scott seems to only let out his celeb gossip monster in about two characters buddy cole and weston esterhazy so i wouldn't go so far as saying they are part of a continual timeline but surely there's at least a, a sense of them being distant cousins discuss <laughs> all right i don't quite get it the same vibe because he does distinct characters like the buddy character is such an establishment, you know? Like, mm. you know the monologues, you know the lisp, you know even the setup with the silver dollar. Oh, they change it in this episode where he has his own bar. Buddies. Yeah. Which yeah. is less exciting looking for some reason. It just looks like the most boring-ass <laughs> sports bar. <laughs> but, yeah, I think it's just more like like Bruce really does like making distinct characters. I was actually thinking the Bill seems like a grown-up Gavin. Yeah. You know? Yeah. He's, he's got that, like, he's just very strange and shrieky. Um, I, I feel like for Scott, it's more of an opportunity to kind of let that out without pigeonholing himself too much. Like when he wants to do characters that are more either, mm. either quote unquote, 
gay presenting or like that's the focus of the bit he tends to do it very upfront so then i think he can play different characters in other contexts yeah what about you trevor well so just a plug for our our friend paul meyer uh that uh, <laughs> in his book uh one dumb guy scott thompson does say that weston Esther Hazy is basically just him, but a secret part of him, his geeky <laughs> side. <laughs> it was like, you don't understand. Back then, you had to hide being a geek. It was like being gay. <laughs> now yeah. there's geeks everywhere. but um. <laughs> Which makes sense. I mean, that was kind of my take on it, too, in the sense that, to me, I feel like there's a distinction between those characters' connections and the Unified Bruce theory, and that in Unified Bruce, all the characters are the same person at different stages, whereas here, I get the feeling that both of these characters are just different aspects of mm-hmm. Scott, right? So, I, I, which it, apparently it, is no, true, is you know? Scott loves celebrity gossip, and <laughs> yeah. that's, <laughs> that's seeping yeah, and, and into his work. Yeah, and couldn't necessarily mash them into one character, so we kind of had to spread yeah. them out. That's- well, and then I was going to say, so under that interpretation, then you can look at other Scott characters and include them as well. Like, so for instance, the rough subway guy from the last episode, uh-huh. he would be included in that because that's definitely an aspect of Scott, that kind of butch fighty guy that we know he can be sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and even his very straight laced straight men characters, I think, are another aspect of him in a way. And I feel like that's that feels more true to me than a, any kind of unified Scott theory where his characters it's, all share some some commonality of Scott it was like the, the yeah. infinite fragmented soul oh man exactly it's the crystallized facets of his personality exposed yeah. uh, but as, a, as a side note this is my favorite buddy Cole monologue we've had so far I yes, agree I totally a agree very yeah. good takedown I my notes for this episode said this is buddy at his mm-hmm. best I totally thought this was my favorite buddy Cole but okay do you guys want to elaborate that on a little bit more why did you like it so much it just really like oh, I'm sorry to jump in, but just for me, oh, it just kind of like it chugged away really nicely. Like the jokes were really on par. I felt like he was very, I don't know, like the, he felt really comfortable in the groove of the character. I felt. Yeah. All right. And Hans. Yeah, I felt like just all of his buddy mannerisms were on point uh-huh. and and hilariously delivered when he does the sign of the cross and then finishes it yes. with like a limp wristed <laughs> flourish going on and on. <laughs> And, it, a, and it's he also used to be a preacher, you know. I was like, oh, yeah, man. exactly. <laughs> and the, the other thing too is, it's you know, uh, with all the buddy bits, like there's two sides to every buddy bit. One is this kind of progressive, like, oh my god, so ahead of its time, so like groundbreaking and exciting. But then he, he there's like all that does it hold upness to it, which is always there's always a tinge of that in every bit. And <laughs> this is the only one I think where every target is. It, it holds up 100%. The targets are yeah. appropriate. Not and like, so you so you don't have any, like, reservations about just yeah. totally coming along for the ride, you know? Maybe that's yeah. it. Yeah, the first one was on the races, and that was yeah. a, real, yeah. <laughs> exactly. a real experience. Like, making, making fun of Andrew Dice Clay, which maybe doesn't land as much for modern-day audiences as it did back then, but, like... Andrew Dice Clay is the most mock-worthy person to have ever existed on this planet yeah. in many ways, right? So Andrew Dice Clay was a comedian back in, like, the late 80s, early 90s, and his whole claim to fame was that he was intentionally offensive towards women and gays and, like, races, basically. Like, he was racist. He was the most... Yeah like awful fucking pig of a human being. And that was his whole bit. And so all of his fans were like, yeah, he fucking tells it like it is. Like he would, he would be a Trump supporter nowadays. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing that I really liked about this bit is that it felt like he was coming out as a comedian and like he came out swinging. 
Yeah. And I loved it. He insults Andrew Dice Clay as being not only like a homophobic and sexist and all this stuff, but as just being not funny. It's like, just like being I, lame. <laughs> yeah. This segues so perfectly into Psycho <laughs> 2. Um, so I want to stay on Scott for a second, who, you know, as we mentioned, yeah. uh, also pulls out sort of this hyper hetero masculine character, um, particularly in this episode in the Debril sketch. So he plays Kevin's dirtbaid dirtbag ex-boyfriend who sees her on a blind date with Daryl and clearly wants her back, going so far as to point out to his own date while begging Kevin, baby, don't make me sleep with her. (laughs) Um, So we've discussed before who sort of does drag best, and I want to chat about the other end of the spectrum, who you think sort of pulls off the most interesting hyper-bro boy characters. not going to say men, because I'm not going to validate that. (laughs) Um, Because they're always over the top and equally recognizable in day-to-day life. So, Hans, start us off. Um, I think it's an interesting aspect of the troupe that Scott is by far the most hyper-masculine of the bunch, and I don't think it's even close. Like, the other guys... When they're doing hyper-masculine characters, they all seem to uh, channel this old boorish business type of dude, um, which I imagine is them acting like the asshole dads they had or their dad's <laughs> friends um, mm-hmm. that they knew when they were young. And I think the the fact that generally for the time they were all pretty progressive types, um, the only, I, I, I will stress for the time, um, <laughs> but the only way I think they felt comfortable taking on those really obviously toxic masculinity type of personas was by pretending to be much older than they were, um, acting like the generation that I, th- I think they probably saw it on display from most often. But th- So Scott is the only one who seems to be able to fully embrace it and just roll with it, and uh, uh, and the others kind of have to have to play it up as a character a bit more, I feel like. I 100% agree with you. I think, like, without question, Scott plays the best hypermask. Um, (laughs) we learned about this as we're learning more about their history as we're reading like the book and watching more of the episodes and stuff but like Scott had to craft that persona for himself Mm -hmm. for a while and Mm -hmm. I I think it's no surprise that it shows up in some of the skits like this where he often plays the most convincing yeah like you're saying like Mark kind of does a convincing tough guy but even then it's like an actor trying to play a tough guy yeah wasn't it you that was telling us about how Scott used to get in trouble for fighting at, like, acting school and stuff? Uh, that wasn't me, but that sounds about right. <laughs> like, apparently he got into fights all the time, and, like, he has that weird chaotic energy where, like, he would just break stuff or make the scenes go off the rails, and, like, he got into the troupe by throwing donuts at them when they were on stage. <laughs> he came from a family of just quite a few boys, too, as yeah. I recall. So I think yeah, that's, didn't he have, like, yeah. four brothers yeah. or something? Yeah, something like yeah. that. Well, and I think yeah. about the scene in season one when they did the gay Leafs fan. Yeah, and he yeah. plays the straight man, and he plays yeah. like yeah. this drunk, boorish kind of like just average Joe from the farm or whatever. Mm-hmm. Who who is also gay? Let's be honest, oh, yeah, he's no. just closeted. He's just, yeah, for sure. And let's you know some of the weird tension behind that that we didn't talk yeah. about. Well, but, yeah. Uh, but yeah, still I, I that could, sort of like masculine like performance. But I couldn't. I couldn't see Bruce playing. I couldn't see Dave playing that at all. Yeah. Okay. True. So. If I can jump in, I, I think what we're really talking about is not masculinity, which some of the other kids can play to like a certain degree, but like kind of a young alpha male type. And I do yeah. think that yeah. Scott yeah. Scott is the only one that can convincingly play that role. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like Mark might get runner up where he attempts it, but it's not entirely convincing, whereas Scott is able to inhabit it. And Bruce yeah. definitely plays like kind of like masculine roles, but they're not exactly an alpha male. It's more like 
a young guy with a chip on his shoulder or a gruff old guy. Not really, yeah, like, yeah, you know, yeah. like the alpha male, but so, so much as like, this is a guy that will definitely try to like fight with a guy much bigger than him, but it's because he's got <laughs> he's a chip a on his shoulder. He's a young punk. That's yeah. his thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, that, that's true. Yeah. You know, like, and maybe if Bruce wasn't so short, he'd be more convincing as sort of like a contemporary <laughs> macho man. Yeah. Though, yeah, I mean, he obviously does a bang up job as a sort of, yeah, a salty mm-hmm. ham patriarch. You just really yeah. want to say bang up job. Yeah. Bang up job. From this season, that Tony sketch, though, that Scott plays. Totally. The, like, uh, yeah. like that kind of alpha male. And Mark is like, you know, like, come on, Tony. No, don't take my cigarette away from me. Like, none of the rest of them can play that character at all. Yeah, yeah there, there's True. something I remember you saying, um, I think it was Stu, about uh, when we were talking about the drag best and worst that it's Mark that kind of brings almost like that weird anxious energy when, when mm. sort of performing a woman. Mm. And, I, and he, he actually brings that, I feel, to a lot of those like pseudo hyper-masculine roles whenever they're supposed mm. to be. So like in in that subway sketch where, where he's kind of, you know, having to be ground down by this bully. He, he, it's funny how you kind of see those threads of, of who they can bring out in a character depending on whether they're even playing a man or a woman. But um, but yeah, to go back to Scott, I mean, his range from like Buddy to then like Dirtbag ex-boyfriend is just like super compelling. Um, and I think, yeah, he did, he'd actually win my vote for best matronly drag character and he definitely gets my vote as we all have given him hyper-masculine. You think Scott's the best drag character? That's crazy. <laughs> the best no, no, matronly, best matronly oh, drag but, character. Oh, I mean, even, we all... Even that I would argue with you because Dave does such a good mom. I was going to say, Dave, Dave also has a pretty good mom, but I think, yeah, that's, there's a good debate to be had between Scott and Dave for best matron I, mom. I do feel you though, the, the salty ham mom is so good and he does, he brings that energy <laughs> to a lot of, just this like perpetually oh, yeah. put upon. Trevor, weren't you saying in an earlier episode something like that, that, uh, Scott based on his mom mostly uh, i can't <laughs> or his aunt or something yeah it? oh yeah it was, it was his aunt's think, name it? yeah um yeah maybe it's bruce is playing his dad and he's like i'm playing my mom or aunt or something like that yeah <laughs> yeah yeah um <laughs> by the way we have to acknowledge while we're talking about this like kind of macho male or alpha male thing that like Dave and Kevin are so far off the mark even when they try. <laughs> Dave always looks like a little boy wearing his dad's suit and Kevin oh, is just too shrill and anxious. Yeah. Yeah. The um the the one in the next episode where Kevin rats out hash dealers is yes. very <laughs> much that energy. Yes, yes. <laughs> hey listeners, like what you hear? Think Stu and Trevor are wrong about the Helens and want to give them a piece of your mind? Well, we want to hear from you. Email us at contact at kithandtell.ca and let us know what you think of the show. And if you flatter us, we'll have you on the show someday. Also, make sure to follow us on social media. You'll get notified as soon as a new episode is up with the freshest, most handcrafted gifts pulled from the most gifable moments of each episode. You can find us at twitter.com slash kithandtellpod or on Facebook at facebook.com slash kithintel. Give us a follow or a like, and be sure to share with all your fellow kith nerd friends. All right, and for our final segment, we're pulling out best and worst sketch. Ratings out of five. Trevor, give us a start. <laughs>
Oh, I think uh, getting the check wins best for me. Uh, I'm going to give it four dollar votes out of five. (laughs) (laughs) They're called dollar votes. (laughs) I vote with my dollars. We also didn't talk about the fact that he just like randomly changes costumes halfway through the episode. (laughs) It's Dave is imagining imagining him, I think. I think he's hallucinating because he's drank too much coffee. Like, I feel like that's the point of it. I'm not really sure. None of us can agree what the fuck is going on. Talk about absurdity in sketches, Stu. I think that's a little bit more uh, on the mark than some of the other ones from last episode. Honestly, there are quite a few good uh, sketches in this. Um, I I like that one the most. It is just, I I don't know, kind of absurdist. Um, But Mm. there's only one that I think in this episode gets worse, and it's Yes, Dear, uh, which is a sketch where... um, a, a nagging wife is leaving her husband and he wants to kill her and it's not really very funny and it's yeah i don't i don't know it's i think that one's also notable for being the most stagey sketch you know what i mean yeah. like they, there's there's obviously a boom mic in the shot at one point there's like mm-hmm. the the x marked on the floor underneath the anvil i did not notice any yeah yeah so <laughs> no. I, it's, it, I think it stood out a little bit more for that reason too and and maybe didn't translate as well to the screen but Stu, what stood out for you? Guys, I love Nutty Bunnies. I changed <laughs> I changed all of our group names to Nutty Bunny in the group chat. I just really, I thought it was so funny and dumb. <laughs> and like, watching it this morning while incredibly, I cannot stress enough how incredibly hungover I am. And I just watched <laughs> Nutty Bunnies and just went like, yeah, take me away. This is <laughs> It's the comfort food of uh, this episode for it, sure. It was, and I love and- that line where it's just like, we're just a bunch of college guys. And they're just like, yeah, I guess you like to be naughty bunnies or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> what was what was worse for you, those two? Worse for me? Uh, I kind of didn't. I mean, yes, dear is bad. Like that is by far the worst. I think without question. I think you really put your put your finger on the pulse on that one. But I kind of didn't love the chase. Oh, oh controversial I, opinion. Very conscious pick for best, I would say. It was, uh, yeah, right. <laughs> it, it, I'm not saying it was terrible. It had its moment, um, but it's, it's the same joke that, like, what if the chase was slow? Uh, I made a note that said those hamburgers look terrible. I don't know why. The <laughs> it was just nice. Were you really also shitty. hungover when you were eating this? <laughs> yeah. Watching it? Sorry. Um, and I, I, I couldn't shake the feeling of, like, the CBC did not shill out enough money to do an actual chase scene so we have to film it in a diner <laughs> delightful i i, don't, I, I disagree I, strongly. I would defend that one yeah yeah oh yeah I, that was my my favorite um, I, I think uh <laughs> i think this is what happens i mean this is a definitely a hungover you know ranking it's it's i like the fuzzy nutty bunnies oh that make God. me feel good and i don't like looking at food so that's bad <laughs> When do grown men in bunny costumes ever make me feel better when I'm feeling vulnerable? That's Aww. a unique nightmare. What you're what you're telling me, Stu, is I should invest in a bunny costume. Oh my god, oh. do it! Just gotcha. Just that's how I want to die. That's, Let's all just put money, pull it together, get Stu a nutty bunny onesie, and we'll be done with it. Yes, I'm just gonna yes. look like Ralph from A Christmas Story. <laughs> Hans, what stood out for you, best and worst sketch? 
Um, well, I feel like this episode did have a lot of good sketches, but, and this might be a controversial opinion, not many great ones, um, but, but lots of good ones. Um, but I do think I have to give it to Buddy, uh, for his bit this week, um, because I really do feel this was Buddy at his best. And I, and I mentioned this before, but I'll reiterate it. I I really feel like he was a gunslinger in this bit and he was shooting to kill at all of the targets of his jokes and he picked all the right targets too. Um, and nothing he said made me squirm at all or is not holding up well. He just had amazing lines. And I know we're not doing kind of our favorite uh, our favorite line segment, but his line about Andrew Dice Clay, where he says, it's as if someone took your grandmother, the one who can't speak English, yep. taught her to swear phonetically, <laughs> and gave her a special on HBO and made her a star, which was yeah. just so good. Um, so I give it four and a half uh good comedians out of five <laughs> um and as far as a, a worst sketch i think i got to agree with uh trevor that yesteryear which i i still had you know better than average uh ranking i had a, a three out of five um parrots but um but it just it, it was it was just the weak part of the episode i thought mm-hmm. yeah same thing i mean this episode was pretty middle of the road but i actually yeah loved police department and the mm, chase yeah. there, there's something just inherently canadians Canadian, rather, about cops failing to catch some convicts because they need to politely pay their bill first <laughs> and argue who's going to get lunch this time and ultimately lose them because they cross just outside of state lines. And, you know, like all the imaginary lines and rules that keep Canadian society in line, even cops and convicts. Uh, I, I like, like, while it's happening, they have this kind of, like, discussion about who's going to pay to, like, yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. decide who's going to pay. Kalina, can I just point out for a moment, though, that you keep talking about state lines, and this was quite clearly an Ontario provincial police car, so it was provincial lines. Yeah. But they, but it said state lines on say, the sign. No, it said the border. Oh, it, it just says the border. Oh, yeah, but I will say this is the in season two they start outing themselves as Canadian a lot more, but it's not super cohesive. Like in the, yeah. the episode last time, they call him Mister District Attorney. <laughs> yes, like, we true. do not have district attorneys. <laughs> this is true. I mean, they probably just didn't know that. Though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't exactly know but like, on the legal dude, you've system. got a law degree. Like, no, regular Canadians <laughs> don't. <laughs> Yeah, but, I wouldn't have known. But <laughs> they, okay, well, first of all, you're all plebs. But they did recreate a Canadian court very well. That's what it they looks did. like. They have the they big did. seal. So I'm like, I would believe they would know what to call the fucking prosecutor. Uh, I, excuse, I me, that, I, excuse me, Stu, the crown prosecutor, you oh mean? My oh, God. oh as opposed to the other prosecutor. colloquial. I think the distinction you have to make is, like, the kids were the ones writing the script, but they had someone probably that did research that put together the yeah, sets. Their, their, set, their set director is more knowledgeable about the legal system than the kids, by yeah. far, for sure. <laughs> On the backs of their amazing subway set from last episode. True. Um, so, getting back to best sketches, uh, yeah, I mean... Obviously have to give a shout out again to the bill. As mentioned, I love hearing mm. Bruce be a nerdy, screechy restaurant customer. <laughs> and like the loop back to the reference about nutty bunnies at the end is just yes. absolutely perfect. Yeah. Um, yeah. They do a as, lot as of loop backs a... in this season, actually. Yeah, mm. yeah, they do. Um, yeah, as for the worst, though, Yes, Dear was pretty simple. And it just made me think that it could have been done by any troupe and not one that I would ever be excited to watch again. Mm. Um, yeah. 
I will say this. So I, I thought I, my notes for that sketch just said I, it felt to me and maybe you guys will agree or disagree, but that it, it needed something more. You know, the, the really the only good things about that sketch was just Mark's expressions. And if they had had some other, I don't know, plot or something, I feel like it could have worked. But it, I don't know, just it was missing something. You know, I, I really yeah. I think what made it really missed for me was the end in the punchline is like this parrot says don't give me that look now put on that dress i like <laughs> like that was a good part of this <laughs> I, sketch and I, like i feel like the the entire sketch was built around it's going to be revealed through this parrot that the this like man who wants to kill his wife is forced to wear a dress for her or something that was the entire concept Oh, oh, maybe. Yeah. Maybe that just didn't land for us. Anyway, no. it's shit. Yeah. All yeah. agreed. <laughs> all right. Well, that's all for our episode four review. Join us next week for episode five, which will be hosted by Hans or Trevor. I can't remember, but thanks for listening <laughs> to Kit and Tell. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Bye.